Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Undying Light listeners. I am your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it once again with another new episode. Obviously, if you're listening to this for the very first time, they're always new. So maybe I'll come up with a new catchphrase eventually. I don't know yet. But we are continuously doing our due diligence to bring you new episodes, two of them every single week. And I know there's a lot of great podcasts out there that do like seasons, and they'll do like 10 episodes, and then they take a break for six months. And uh, I've considered stuff like that. I've considered doing seasons and then breaking stuff up and then like really devoting time into it. And it might come to something like that down the road. But my goal is to bring you weekly content. And and, and in this case, what we've been doing basically almost all year is bringing you two episodes a week. I don't know if I'll continue always in the two episodes a week, but for sure you will always have a new episode on Fridays. The Tuesdays, we might get to a point where we've covered the topics enough that we won't need to continue to expand them. But that's something that I'm not foreseeing in the anytime near future. So on Tuesdays, as we've been discussing the last few weeks, we have been looking at the sacrament of the altar or the Lord's Supper or communion. Or for you Catholics out there, the Eucharist. Doesn't matter what title you give it. Uh, Lutherans call it the sacrament of the altar. Uh, In short, we could say the Lord's Supper or communion. We don't generally say communion too often. Uh, but it's there as well as a term to be used. So we have looked at the text. We've looked at some passages in Scripture. There's not a ton out there, but we've looked at the passages in Scripture that talk about the Lord's Supper. We've looked at the Passover meal and its connection to Christ being the, the Lamb. We've looked at the early church fathers and found some interesting comments that they've made. And uh, we gave heed and warning to reading them at face value and not actually understanding the context or the greater um, disparity that can come from reading a, a quote and then seeing, oh, wow, that seems to be a good jump into heresy if we follow this out logically. Or, you know, so we, we made sure we tried to head off some of those and, and put a little warning around it. But 
they're there. And then we looked at the Book of Concord. And so uh, we've looked through the Augsburg Confession, the Small Called Articles, the Small Catechism, uh, the Formula of Concord, and uh, the Apology to the Augsburg. So we looked at all that last week. This week we are going to take on uh, Luther's large catechism. This is the biggest chunk of writing that Lutherans have on uh, the Lord's Supper. And so depending on our time, I'm going to try to read through as many of the statements as possible. I've got a couple highlighted that I've done for um, my preaching. And so we'll read those for sure. But there's 87 statements that Luther makes. And so we will not for sure read all 87. You can go and, and get Luther's Arch Catechism online. And you can actually go to the Book of Concord website and actually read all of the Book of Concord for free. And you can go to the Luther's Large Catechism, and I've talked about this numerous times on this show, that you have that ability to go and read these things for yourself and follow along with me if you want, or you can just, I hope you don't take my word for it, but I encourage you to, uh, you know, grab yourself a copy and read through it. And so what we will continue to do is obviously take what's written, try to explain a little bit if we need to, clear up a few things, maybe talk a little bit about it, um, but we won't obviously try to keep you from just reading all 87 statements and then uh, letting your eyes spin from from that because it's a lot to take on. And Luther um, really, this is a big, like I said, the biggest chunk that Lutherans have on the sacrament of the altar that come out of the confessional era. Now, there have been other books written. Uh, there have been other notes uh, you know, or, or writings done that would uh, help to explain certain things. And other Lutheran theologians have piggybacked off of this. But this is the original foundational piece to the Lutheran faith when it comes to understanding these sacraments. Luther's Arch Catechism is kind of the epicenter for all of that. And so we will get into that here in a moment. But uh, I kind of want to preference what we're going to be doing. So we're going to look at... His, small, his large catechism today. And like I said, we might read all 87, not on this show. We might do it in two parts. I haven't really decided yet. We'll kind of see how this, the flow goes uh, through through these. And after we get through with this, we'll have a Q&A episode, and then we will have kind of a wrap-up episode. I really don't know much more that we can go uh, on kind of hammering this topic baptism was a was a very deep and complex topic and we can talk through the many different insights we might do an episode um before the q a and we might do an episode on the uh uh the the different views of the lord's supper and that may help us again to understand maybe what's the catholic view what's the protestant view and we've kind of talked a little bit about that briefly in some of these previous episodes but I want to make sure that we cover those uh, more in depth and uh, allow them to, you know, be kind of the, the get the front and center attention that they need. So we might do an episode on that, and that would just, um, you know, add one more to the to the chain. But after we get done with this, then we're going to start looking at some of the differences between the Lutheran faith and the Reformed faith, which would include the Calvinistic circles, uh, and we will start to talk about where those uh differences and similarities come into play so that's what you can expect on tuesdays uh for the next handful of weeks and then fridays obviously we're working through minor prophets and uh, that's kind of been the the undertaking for a while um 
I had just finished recording Habakkuk when this episode is being recorded, so uh, this won't air. Or So Habakkuk, I have it scheduled for the first Friday in August. This episode will probably air like the last Tuesday in August. I, I, I got to look at my calendar, but this is, I think I've got most of August already done for Tuesday episodes. Uh, my Fridays, I'm only one week ahead. I'm like four weeks ahead on Tuesdays. So in fact, it's actually still July as I record this episode. So uh, the patrons will get it that much in advance and uh, you will ha- have to wait a month or so for it to come to your listening ears. But uh, I just recorded that, and so there will be three weeks in there, and then we'll look at some other uh, minor profits. And then I'd actually had mentioned on the show that we might look at, after we're done with the least of these series, we might look at the history of Israel and unpack Joshua, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, 1st, 2nd Samuel, and we'll look at the history to Israel. I think that would be a fascinating uh, topic to get into. So there's a ton of stuff that you know is at our fingertips, and the, the show has so much more potential to continue to grow and uh, continue to expound on what God's word says. So uh, let's dig into uh, Luther's large catechism and we will see what, uh, what he has to say. So the sacrament of the altar, this is the fifth part. And he starts with this as we treated holy baptism under three headings. So we must deal with the second sacrament in the same way, stating that stating what it is, what its benefits are, and who is to receive it. All of these are established from the words by which Christ instituted it. So everyone who wishes to be a Christian and to go to the sacrament should be familiar with them. For we do not intend to admit to the sacrament and administer it to those who do not know what they seek or why they come. These uh, The words are these. Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, and on the night he was betrayed, took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, gave thanks and gave it to them saying, this cup is the new Testament in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So I'm going to pause there. That's the first three statements that Luther makes here in the large catechism. And I want to pause because, you know, as I was reading the words of institution here, I was really profound uh, today. I had the opportunity to go and visit a, uh, a, a homebound congregant, and I've had many visits with this this wonderful lady before. And uh, I just I enjoy spending the few hours that I get to uh, with her and just talk over so many things. We talk about our lives. She's always interested in the family, and so and my kids have even met her. She's a great person. Um, my wife's met her too, but. Uh, we will go up there once a month and visit and I bring communion to her and I always, it's always impactful to watch her because she can't come to church anymore. She can't possibly uh, sit. She's got scoliosis and some other major issues. And so she can't drive uh, the 25 minutes to the church and she certainly couldn't sit in the wooden pews, but she watches every week, no matter what online. And she's always, um, she's always there. And, but what what really got me thinking and what really kind of maybe hit me hard today emotionally was just the importance of bringing this privilege of the Lord's Supper to a person that would not otherwise have the opportunity to partake in the Lord's Supper. And it's impactful to me because I get to see how Christ is working through me, me being a broken vessel, a sinner, 
and is delivering his promise to this other sinner, this other broken vessel, in that we have the, the comfort that our sins are forgiven, and that is why we see Jesus say that this cup is in the New Testament in my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. If his blood is the wine, the wine is the blood, and if his blood has been poured out, that is the you know, connection to the cross, the shedding of his blood, then we have the forgiveness of sins because blood must be shed in order for atonement to happen. So this beautiful truth that we see here in the words of institution, this is taken out of Matthew chapter 26. We talked about that a few weeks ago on this episode. Um, and I think we even talked a little bit about the, the kind of English translation of new Testament in my blood versus new covenant in my blood. And so we talked a little bit about that, I think a few weeks ago, Um, so I won't get into that, but we actually had that conversation today between me and this lady. Uh, we talked about, um, the, the purpose behind Testament and the purpose behind covenant and why it, at least in my understanding and my hermeneutics and my reading Testament is much more impactful and, and it shows that it is truly Christ coming to us. And so, uh, that's why when I do the words of institution, I always say new Testament. So let's carry on. Statement four, we have no wish on this occasion to quarrel or dispute with those who blaspheme or desecrate the sacrament, but as in the case of the baptism, we shall first learn what is the greatest importance, namely God's word and ordinance or command, is God's word and ordinance or command, which is the chief thing to be considered. For the Lord's Supper was not intended or devised by any man, it was instituted by Christ without man's counsel or deliberation. Therefore, just as the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Creed retain their nature and value, even if we never keep, pray, or believe them. So also does this blessed sacrament remain unimpaired or and inviolent, even if we use and mishandle it in an, in an unworthy manner. Do we think God cares so much about our faith and conduct that he would permit them to affect his ordinance? No. All temporal things remain as God has created and ordered them, regardless of how we treat them. This must be emphasized, for thus we can thoroughly refute all the babbling of the sedacious spirits who regard the sacraments contrary to the word of God as human performances. Now, what is the sacrament of the altar? Answer, it is the true body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ in and under the bread and wine, which are, which we Christians are commanded by Christ's word to eat and drink. As we said of baptism, it is not mere water. So we say in the sacrament is bread and wine, but not mere bread or wine, such as it is served at a table. It is bread and wine comprehended in God's word and connected with it. It is the word I retain, I maintain, which distinguishes it from mere bread and wine. It constitutes it a sacrament, which is rightly called Christ's body and blood. It is said, uh, this is in uh, Latin, so I'm not going to be able to repeat that, but it translates to when the word is joined with an external element, it becomes a sacrament. Thus saying, the St. Augustine is so accurate and well put that it is doubtful that he has had anything better. The word must make the element a sacrament. Otherwise, it remains a mere element. All right, let's pause there. That's the first 10 statements now in 
uh, Luther's large catechism here. So next we'll pick up with statement 11. But I want to pause here because I think sometimes we as Christians, especially in the modern world, we get ourselves so tied up in what is the sacrament, what is an ordinance. We did a whole episode on that. And you can go back to listening to the first episode in the sacrament series and you can see the sacrament versus ordinance. And I think what really comes down to it is this especially within an understanding of the Christian faith, if we call something a sacrament or we call something, you know, or especially let's say the Lord's Supper, we call it a sacrament, we call baptism a sacrament. If God's word is absent from either one of those, either one of those events, baptism or the Lord's Supper, if God's word is absent, it is not a valid baptism. It is not valid Lord's Supper. So, I'll give you an example. If I'm baptizing somebody and I just say, I now baptize you, be free. And I, and I don't give the promise of the gospel. I don't talk through the uh, Apostles' Creed, which was a, the original intention was the baptismal creed. If I don't talk through that and I don't pour water or, or, or dunk or anything in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then there is no valid baptism. Now, it doesn't matter on how righteous I am. It doesn't matter on how good of a pastor I am or how great of a sermon I can preach. Nothing matters about me. What matters is taking God's word and pairing that with the element, making it a sacrament. It has no bearing. Or the, the preacher has no bearing on whether the uh, sacrament is valid or has volition. Now, if I were to get up and, and do the Lord's Supper, which we will be doing here uh, a week from the Sunday, the first week in August, August 7th, um, and I get up and I, and I you know, uh, say a prayer before we bless the wine and the bread, and I just say, um, you know, I give some generic, fluffy, you know, this is uh, what Christ has told us to do, and uh, he said, take and eat the bread, take and drink the wine. And do this in remembrance of him, but I don't actually equate or really give the full level of the words of institution. Uh, then I'm I'm robbing the individuals in the congregation from that sacrament because it's not a valid sacrament. If I don't get up and actually say, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it to all to eat, saying, "Take and eat. This is my body given for you." Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to all to drink, saying, "Take and drink this cup." For the forgiveness of sins, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, and if we don't say those things, then it's not a valid Lord's Supper. It's not a valid sacrament. I'm just spinning air, basically. And so it's always crucial to understand that if you attend a church and the pastors, you know, would maybe phrase it up and say, um, and, and, and I've heard it before. And I'm not going to say where I heard it from, but I heard this used. They ask you these questions, and if you believe them, then you are you're uh, allowed to come and partake in the in the in the meal. But they don't actually give the words of institution in this in these circumstances. They just ask these questions. If you believe this, you know, reply with yes. If you believe this, then reply with yes, and then you are invited to the table. And then when you go up and you get it, they hand you the bread and say the body of Christ. And then the blood of Christ. See, now when I do the words of institution and I hand the bread and wine to people, I give the full words of institution, which I've already cited. And then I turn and I hand them the bread and I say, this is the body of Christ given for you. And I say that to each person in my congregation because each 
person receives this individually. And so each time that, that, uh, that bread, which is a, which is the body of Christ that is given to them, the, the member of my congregation, that particular person right there. And the same thing with the blood, when we hand them the wine and we say the blood of Christ shed, guess what? For you. Notice the words that we put emphasis on when we give the Lord's Supper. It's for you. This is not something that you do to accept it, but it is something here uh, that Jesus gives us that this uh, take and eat. This is my body, which has been given for you. When we get to the blood, he says, this is the New Testament of my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. It is crucial to hear those words because now the sacrament becomes valid and it, and it sits in your ear that this promise has been given to you. So let's carry on here. Uh, number 11, we've got uh, Luther going on. He says, now uh, this is not the word and ordinance of a prince or an emperor, emperor, but the divine majesty at whose feet every knee shall bow and confess that it is, as he says, and shall accept it with all reverence, fear, and humility. With the word you can strengthen your conscience and declare, let a hundred thousand devils with all their frantics rush forward and say, how can bread and wine be Christ's body and blood? Still, I know that all the spirits and scholars put together have less wisdom than the divine majesty has in his little finger. Here we have Christ's words, take and eat. This is, uh, this is my body. Drink of it. All of you. This is the new Testament in my blood here. We shall take a stand and see who dares to instruct Christ, uh, and alter what he has spoken. It is true indeed that if you take any, if you take the word away from the elements or view them apart from the word, you have nothing but ordinary bread and wine. But if the words remain as is right and necessary, then in virtue of them, they are truly the body and blood of Christ. For as we have been, we have it from the lips of Christ, so it is, he cannot lie or deceive. Hence, it is easy to answer all questions uh, from which now trouble men. For example, whether even a wicked priest can administer the sacrament and the like questions. Our conclusion is this, even though a knave shall receive or administer it, it is the true sacrament. That is Christ's body and blood, just as truly as when you, uh, when one uses it unworthily for it is not found on the holiness of men, but on the word of God is no saint on earth. Yes. No angel in heaven can transform bread and wine into Christ's body and blood. So likewise, no one can change or alter the sacrament even if it is misused for the word by which it has been constituted a sacrament is not rendered false because of an individual's unworthiness or unbelief. Christ does not say if you believe or you are unworthy, you have re you receive my body and blood, but he says this take and eat. This is my body and blood. Likewise, he says, do this, namely what I now do, what I institute, what I give you to bid you to take. This is as much as to say, no matter whether you are unworthy or worthy, you here have Christ's body and blood by virtue of those words, 
which are coupled with the bread and wine. Mark this and remember it well. For upon these words rest our whole argument, protection, and defense against all errors and deceptions that have arisen or may yet arise. We have briefly considered the first part, namely the essence of the sacrament. Now that we have come to its power and benefit, the purpose of which the sacrament was really instituted, for it is most necessary that we know that we should seek and obtain it there. This is plainly evident from the words just quoted. This is my body and blood given and poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, we go to the sacrament because we receive there a great treasure through and in which we obtain the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because the words there through which this is imparted, Christ bids me to come and eat and drink in order that the sacrament may be mine and a source of blessing uh, to me as a sure pledge and sign. Indeed, it is the very gift he has provided for me against my sins, death, and all evils. So I actually highlighted that last little phrase there because I find I, when I was doing my research to on a sermon for the Lord's Supper, I, I came across uh, some of these these marks and I read all 87 of them in preparation for that sermon. And uh, and I th- found three quotes in here and we'll we'll talk about some of them probably next week a little bit. Um, I talked to you know, I came across these three quotes and in this one I, I found just such a great comfort because this is again, I'll repeat it here for you. It says, in other words, we go to the sacrament because we receive there a great treasure through and in which we obtain the forgiveness of sins. That to me is the greatest thing that can be given to any person. The forgiveness of sins. And that is why the sacraments are so important for a church. And if you attend a church that doesn't administer the sacraments on a regular basis, I would bid you to find a church that does. They don't have to do it every week, even though uh, as a Lutheran, I would I would love to have them every week. Uh, but I would say if you can have a church that does it once a month or twice a month, then please get involved in that. But make sure they administer them correctly. Don't just take the non-denominational, you know, cut of the cheese and, and expect them to, to get it right. And I would even venture to say, if you are in some of the reform circles and you're struggling with these words from Christ, take heed, get your butt into gear and start studying on this, because this is the most important pieces to your faith life are the sacraments. I, I used to think that they were secondary doctrinal topics But the more I spend studying the sacraments, I find them to be primary topics and primary in in that they they don't necessarily have an an impedance upon our salvation, even though baptism is a means by which one can be saved. What we what I mean by primary is that if the forgiveness of sins is present in in something, in, in this case, the sacraments, if the forgiveness of sins is present then it is a primary topic. Now, there's a few different primary topics that we can undertake, right? The deity of Christ, uh, the triune Godhead, uh, the creeds, the Lord's Prayer. I mean, I think all of those things are primary topics, but I'd also say the sacraments are as well. To say that the sacraments are not primary and would, would really greatly undermine the words of Christ here. Because, again, why do we come to the sacraments? 
Why do we come to the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the altar here? It is so that we can obtain the forgiveness of sins. Now, interestingly enough, and we're going to probably pause here for the for the day at, at question 22 or statement 22. Um, one of the things that I found interesting, and this was a conversation I had with uh, some Lutheran friends of mine the other day, and we were talking about um, the the difference between kind of the Calvinist view of how we were once saved in the faith and that has uh, that was the one time when you, you know, when you remember you were saved, that was the day, the hour that you can say, uh, I, on Tuesday, September 4th in 1999, I was saved. And, and then I got baptized on September 8th or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I got up and did the whole speech. Uh, yeah, you know how I feel about that, but there's a bit, there's a significant difference um, between the Lutheran faith and the reformed faith in this, right? We, we as Lutherans, would attest to saying on the on the date to which we were baptized as children or infants was the first promise given to us. But we would also say that it is, you know, not necessarily, that wasn't necessarily the moment of our definitive salvation. We can quote Paul from Ephesians 1 and see that we were you know, uh, predestined before the foundations of the world. We were saved by faith through grace. Um or saved by grace through faith. And if we quote chapter two, but for the Lutheran, it's not the one time definitive point in history that we were saved for the Lutheran. It's, it's an everyday thing. We're, we're constantly being saved because we struggle with the sinful nature. And that is why for the Lutheran, the sacraments are so important because we constantly are being saved by Christ. And that's why we, we can say that we come and obtain the forgiveness of sins, because even though we would say all of our sins were hammered on the cross some 2000 years ago, all of those sins have been paid for. They have been, they've been, our slate has been wiped clean. All of them have been removed from us. But we also have to understand too, as like the apostle John comes and tells us, we must confess our sins so that they may be forgiven. And so the apostles looked at salvation as being kind of an ongoing process. And that, you know, we, we say we are justified in one single point. We were saved in one single point. But the forgiveness of sins is one of the kind of always ongoing movements in the Christian life. Because once we were saved, then we can continue to need that forgiveness of sins because we continue to sin until the moment we die. And so that is why, as Lutherans, we, we don't necessarily believe in a one-time only of a date of salvation, but we believe that salvation for the Christian is an ongoing process throughout the life of the Christian. So that's going to wrap this episode. We got into some interesting topics and a couple side trails there, if you would. Uh, we made it through 22 statements of the 87. Uh, we will probably read a handful more. Uh, next week, and then we'll we'll wrap up on the large catechism. We won't obviously do all 87, but we'll get into the ra- uh, a good chunk of them next week. So, uh, statement 23 is where we will kick off next week's episode. I hope you guys have a great week. Make sure you tune in Friday for our brand new episode on whatever book we are in at that time. And uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. God bless. We'll see you later.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.